you can turn tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as we continue our series on normal church, the everyday calling for everyday Christians. Last time we uh, started this study, we talked through the mission of every Christian in the church, that we as believers are called to speak the truth in love to one another um, as long as it is called today, that that is our calling. It's not left up to the leaders of the church, the pastors, but it's left up to the members of the church as we seek to build each other up in love as each member is working properly. And the goal in this series is to really make the, the mission of discipleship, the mission of building each other up in love, uh, practical and attainable. This is something that that is not left to the professionals, is not left to those who have been trained in it or have a certification or a seminary degree, but really this is something that all of us can do as and should be doing as members of the church. And so that our, our purpose through the study is to go as step by step as practical as possible so that every one of us can walk away saying, I can do that. I can build up the church in love as I speak the truth. But perhaps you are here tonight and you're looking at your task to speak the truth in love and you're thinking, well, there's a problem and that's I've got problems, right? I have struggles. I'm going through trials. I'm struggling with sin and I, I feel really hypocritical trying to speak the truth in love to other people when I myself am really going through a difficult time. Is it possible for me to build up the church even while I'm going through a very difficult time? Yes, and the short answer is yes, absolutely you can. And, and in fact, there's a way that you can help each other even without giving any advice. In fact, the very act of you admitting to and acknowledging the everyday reality of the Christian life, showing this is my struggle and this is how I'm seeking for prayer, can be an incredible help to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You can actually be instructive in your honesty, right? We're a church family that, you know, when any, when any group of Christians come together, it's a group of Christians that are all coming together with their own struggles and, and, and their own trials and their own sins. And, and I'm sure for many of us thinking, well, I, I can't help because I need help. And if all of us are like that, then no one helps, right? <laughs> because we're all seeking that help. And we're going to see in a passage today in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that actually the very act of you saying, hey, this is my everyday reality. This is what I'm going through, and this is what I'm seeking God for, and this is what I need you to pray for, can be incredibly instructive to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And first of all, it, it helps them see, you know what, I can admit my struggles as well. And it provides those who can help you the opportunity to speak the truth in love. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. A bit of context about this book before we jump into verses 8 through 11. The book of 2 Corinthians uh, is Paul's attempt to defend his apostleship to the Corinthian church. This, these individuals have crept into the church, what Paul calls in 2 Corinthians as super apostles, and, uh, and they're seeking to discredit Paul by saying, by pointing to his weakness and his trials and his difficulties as proof that he's not really an apostle, right? Things are going really bad for him and he's really weak, so therefore, he's not as impressive as we are. And these super apostles are actually being effective in their task. 
that the Corinthians were starting to kind of shift their focus and saying, look at these guys over here. They're impressive. They're, they're, they, they, they have all these credentials. They have all this success. Paul, he's, he, I don't know. His, 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 his presence is kind of weak. His, his speaking isn't that great. He, he's, he's, getting, he's getting beaten all the time, and, you know, he's, he's shipwrecked and all this stuff, and that's not very fun. And so it's starting to be effective on the Corinthian believers. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians is seeking to defend his apostleship. And, and one of the main ways in which he does it, instead of avoiding his weakness, is actually acknowledging his weakness and acknowledging his struggle and acknowledging the trials of life. And, by do, and so doing is instructive to the Corinthians about how they should view struggles themselves. We're going to be looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. We'll read down through verse 11. Paul says this, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed beyond measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. We had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver in whom we trust and he will yet deliver us. You also helping together by prayer for us that the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Let's pray, ask God to guide us as we look in his word. Lord, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for um, the opportunity to look into your word and seek how can we as a church build each other up in love. I pray you to equip us for the task and give us guidance for it. In your son's name we pray, amen. As I mentioned, when you read through the book of 2 Corinthians, you see that Paul is often boasting in his weakness. In fact, he's often being brutally honest about his struggles. He's turning their argument, the, the super apostles, on its head by actually pointing to his struggle as evidence of his role as an apostle rather than evidence against it. And here in the beginning of the book of 2 Corinthians, he's describing how he views his own trial with the desire that the Corinthians will come to view trials the same way. And so he's being honest in his example and his experience, but he's doing it in an instructive way. He wants to help shift the mindset of the Corinthians to see Having trials, having difficulties, having weakness isn't antithetical to the Christian life. In fact, it's the everyday reality of the Christian life. And if we can all acknowledge that, then we're one step closer to actually being honest about the trials of our lives. And the point I want to make tonight is that being honest about your own weakness and trials is actually a way to help others in their weakness. It gives others greater confidence to follow suit. And too often we conceal the everyday reality of struggle as if it weren't the everyday reality for everyone else. But our normal job is to speak the truth in love so that the church is built up. But, but do we enter the church giving the impression that we are already built up? That we already have it put together? That we have no neediness? And if we all do that, if that's how we all enter church, I'm already built up, I'm already put together, then there's no apparent need to speak the truth in love. And so as we consider normal church, we're seeking to make the mission of the Christian attainable and accessible. We don't speak the truth in love because we often don't speak the truth in love because we don't feel equipped or trained for it. And the presence of our own struggle prohibits us, we think, to actually speak to others at all. 
And so today we'll see a normal way that you can help others, as I mentioned, without giving a single piece of advice. You can help others by simply being honest about the everyday reality of your own weakness, just as Paul does in this passage this morning, or this evening. The first thing we see that Paul does in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is he admits his weakness. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers. We don't want you to be ignorant of all the affliction we experienced. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul was being instructive, as I mentioned, in his honesty, helping the Corinthians understand what gospel living looks like in everyday reality. And Paul and his fellow workers experienced much affliction in Asia. And notice how strong of language he uses to describe this affliction. In the ESV, he it's worded as utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Has this ever been your answer when someone asks, how are you today? <laughs> Sometimes you feel like answering that way, don't you? You know if you answered that way, the person would be a little caught off guard and there'd be that awkward silence and then you'd break it by saying, how are you? <laughs> Good, and then you go about your day. This language is about as extreme as you can get. They're not just burdened. They were utterly burdened. They were burdened beyond their strength, even to the point that they despaired of life itself. Would you ever be willing to, to honestly admit that to, to a group of Christians if you find yourself in that point in your life? Paul admits that they were at a loss. He continues in the next verse that we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Paul's experience, experiencing extreme hardship beyond what he could bear. And he wanted to make sure that the Corinthian believers were aware of those struggles. How does verse 8 begin? We don't want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced. He says, I've, we, we are going through a really, really tough time. And you as the church, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant of everything we've gone through. Is your church family unaware of the affliction you're experiencing? Make them aware. Admit weakness and be honest about struggles. Let's consider the everyday reality of our lives. When we look at the struggles we experience in our everyday reality, there, there are multiple layers to trials, aren't there? There's circumstantial, just the setting of life, things that happen. There's vocational. There's relational trials. There's physical trials. And all of these are often layered upon each other. And all of these trials, all of these difficulties weigh on the heart. And so we even see at the very foundational level, heart trials. Those three words in the middle of that graphic there are taken from 1 Thessalonians 5.14, where it talks about three struggles that are often described in the Christian life, the unruly, the faint-hearted, and the weak. And it actually reflects the three main ways that we often respond to the trials of life. 
You know, it's circumstantial, vocational, relational, physical, sometimes all wrapped up into one. It's one of three ways. If we're not responding in trust to God, there, there, there might be one of three ways or, or multiple that we respond. Number one, unruly, right? We respond with sin, with rebellion, with, with I don't like this, get me out of this, and I'm going to go my own way. Or we're just discouraged. It weighs us down. Or weak. We just feel like we've reached the end of our rope. We don't feel like we have the ability to withstand under this pressure any longer. And you know how much all of these categories intersect, don't you? The vocation impacts your circumstances. Your physical trial impacts your relational trials. Relational trials impacts your circumstantial trials. We could connect dots between any two of these or all of them at once. And all of them impact our hearts. And often, I've said this before, like, it's, it's, it's so strange that oftentimes trials seem to come in bunches. You're doing, doing fine, and then everything is just like, boosh, right? All at once. Physical, relational, vocational, circumstantial, all of it just comes weighing down, bearing down on the human heart. And it's difficult. And if your heart is struggling, your, own heart, your, your heart is responding to all of these trials with perhaps either sin, discouragement, weakness, or all three. Notice how Paul, in our passage, is not only honest about his situation, but he was honest about how it was impacting his heart. He was burdened beyond his strength, and he was despairing of life itself. We shouldn't be under the impression that every person walking through our doors is, is, is having hidden trial every moment of every day right? When we talk about the everyday trial of life, we don't want to have to give the impression that if you're not struggling, then somehow you, there's something wrong, because we all struggle all the time. We always have trials. That's just not the case, right? Sometimes when we say, I'm fine, we're actually telling the truth. Right, husbands? Yes. <laughs> we don't need, and so we don't want to make up a struggle in order to appear honest and real to others, Right? Just as you should be honest about your weakness, you should be honest about your blessings. And the scripture says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. But if we find ourselves going through deep valleys, we should seek to make our brothers and sisters aware of the valley. Do we have the type of unity in church when we can both share, the, share both the circumstances of our trial and how our heart is dealing with it? To share with someone else, I'm going through this, and this is how I'm struggling with it. That, that's a whole other level of honesty that it actually takes some practice and some, and some humility to attain. Sometimes we arrive at church with a big smile on our face because we're genuinely joyful and happy, and life is great. Sometimes we arrive at church with a big smile on our face to hide the trial or the sin struggle that is plaguing you Monday through Saturday. And Paul here in our passage makes sure to the church that they're aware of his affliction. Maybe you're hesitant to admit weakness or struggle because you're not looking for help or you're not confident that anyone can help. All right, oftentimes we don't disclose the struggle because I don't know if I want that person giving me advice, right? Or, you know, I'm just not looking for help. I'm not looking for input. I'm just struggling, and if I'm not looking for input, I'm just going to bear with it, and I'm going to hold on to it, and I'm going to conceal it. But think about who Paul is talking to in this passage. 
the Corinthian believers. If you were to ask Paul, Paul, name a church you'd go to if you're, if you're trying to seek some good advice and counsel. Would the Corinthian church be at the top of the list? I don't think so, right? Now, they've grown a little bit from 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians, I'll grant you that. But, but, but still, I mean, the, even the fact that they've turned their back on Paul multiple times, time and time again, they're easily swayed in going after other these, these super apostles. They're marked by division. I don't think Paul is being honest because he's hoping that the Corinthians can give him great counsel. It's a way that you can receive help, to be sure, to, be, to admit your weakness, but it's also a way that you can actually help others who need to admit their own. Perhaps Paul was simply acknowledging his struggles to show the Corinthians, listen, the struggles of life are part of your everyday reality, part of following Christ. And here I am, as this, this apostle, admitting and boasting in my weakness to help them see that they can view their weakness the same way. So how can you help others in the church without giving any actual advice? You have too many struggles, too many trials to give advice. How can you help? By acknowledging your weakness, admitting your weakness. But then as we continue our passage, we see the next thing that Paul does. He acknowledges God. Verse 9, it says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but... That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And so yet we see another way that Paul is instructing through his example. He gives a brutally honest admission of his struggle, and then with a heart of faith, he acknowledges the divine purpose that God has for that struggle. You, you ask, well, how do I know what God's divine purpose is for my struggle? Well, two of those purposes are right here in this passage. Because these, are, I believe, are the purposes God has for all of our struggles. Number one, I believe that God allows us to go through trials to renounce self-sufficiency. He says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. While we don't know all of God's purposes for the struggles we go through, whether they're trials of life or their struggles with sin, we do know some general purposes God has. And in these moments of admission, it's good to point to a purpose you know God has for you in this time. Don't rely on yourself, but rely on God, the one who raises the dead. If you're struggling with a sin problem, you can be confident that this is one of God's purposes for you in your struggle that you, not, you don't rely on yourself, but you rely on God. If you're dealing with a health struggle, you can be confident that God is helping you trust him more rather than yourself. Trials expose how unreliable self-sufficiency is, and I believe that's what Paul is trying to say here. He, we felt like we had the sentence of death on us, but that was so that we would not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And then secondly, the second thing he does is he sets his hope on God. We see another purpose here that God has for you in the trials, that you would set your hope on him alone. He says in verse 10, he, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. We regularly place our hope on circumstances, vocations, relationships, and health. And when those things are taken away, 
it shifts our hope back to where it is meant to be all along. You can see how this mindset impacts how Paul views even his most difficult trials as he acknowledges that, that he cannot rely on himself, that he needs to hope in God, even though this trial that he's experiencing is, is pushing him beyond measure and he is despairing of life even of itself. As he dwells on these realities, when you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, he describes his trials this way. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. Light momentary affliction. Three chapters ago, you called it utterly stretched beyond measure, despairing of life itself. And now you're calling it a light momentary affliction? It says this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There's the hope, and there's the trust. So as we admit our weakness, what are we seeking to do? Through our admission, as we acknowledge God, we look at our trials, and then we acknowledge our sovereign God is over all of it. As we just combine these two things together, what would this look like in the life of the church as we seek to build each other up by just seeking to, to, to be honest about our everyday trial? Perhaps it would sound something like this. You know, I'm, I'm going through a really difficult time right now. My, my ongoing health struggle caused me to lose my job. All of this has been really hard on my family, um, and, and there's some, some strain there, and we haven't necessarily been handling it very well. And I'm struggling why God would allow this, and, fight, and I'm fighting discouragement a lot, but through this I've seen how little I can trust myself and how much I need to trust God and hope in Him. It's a battle, but there's progress. Can you see how it's, it's just an honest admission of where you are, yet it's also very instructive, isn't it? Admit your weakness, acknowledge God, and number three, ask for prayer. This is what he does in verse 11 of our passage. I love the way he words it, too. He says, You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. So he admits his weakness, he acknowledges God, and he asks the believers in Corinth to pray for him. They may not give counsel or advice, but they can pray. And Paul is confident in the power of prayer. How does he want the Corinthian believers to help him? You must help us by prayer. There's an urgency there. Paul knows he needs it. Prayer is a way to partner with someone else in their struggle. Have you ever admitted your your weakness, your trial to someone, and then concluded it, and you must pray for me. I need your help in prayer. It's connected to his previous comment about setting his hope on God that he will deliver them. His confidence in, is, is due in part to the fact that the church is helping him in prayer. He says, yet he will deliver us again as you help me in prayer. We also see the desired result of prayer. You can help us through prayer so that 
many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. He wants the effectual prayers of others to result in thanksgiving as people witness God's grace and power in the lives of weak Christians. Why be honest about your everyday reality so that people can rejoice in the power of prayer? You may not think you can counsel or give sound advice, but you can fervently pray. And just as Paul depended on the prayer of the Corinthians for his deliverance, there are people in this church who depend on the fact that you are praying for them. Prayer is not just a motion that you go through. God has chosen to use prayers, use the prayers of his people to accomplish his purposes. So we need to pray for each other. Paul's example all through his letters points to the power of prayer that I will be delivered, he says frequently, because the people are praying. Romans chapter 15, verses 30 to 31, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, he says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. In Philemon, verse 22, he says, At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Paul is very confident. If you don't pray, nothing's going to happen. But through your prayers, God will deliver. Why are we honest about our struggles? We're honest about our struggles because we need prayer. If you need help, then you need prayer. And you won't have prayer if you don't acknowledge your struggles. And sure, when you admit your struggles, you'll have folks answer with the, I'll pray for you, and no prayers offered. But there are some prayer warriors in this church. I know there are. And if you have the boldness to say, I'm going through a tough time, then you'll have some prayer warriors bringing your burden before the Lord. As you acknowledge your struggle, you're giving others around you the boldness to acknowledge their own. If you, if you bring your struggles forward and say, this is what I'm going through, this is how I'm seeking to acknowledge God, this is how I need prayer, then you're going to have others around you saying to themselves, if they can be honest, so can I. Honesty really works as a chain reaction. But it has to start with someone. Oftentimes, churches can be filled with people just wishing that there's someone else who could hear about their struggle. And churches are often filled with people wishing that others would share their struggle with them. And as a result, we just kind of stay there, and we don't say anything, and we don't do anything. But one of the simplest ways to help is going exactly through what we said this morning. Here's my struggle. Here's how I'm seeking to acknowledge God. Here's how I need your prayer. We're discovering what normal church is. We've seen the normal mission we have to speak the truth in love. But it's hard for that mission to be accomplished if we aren't willing to acknowledge the everyday reality of the Christian life, that life is hard and we need prayer. And as we open up our lives to one another, as more prayers are offered, 
And the more prayer is offered, the more grace is spread. And we'll look as we continue forward in this series how we can actually instruct each other, how we can speak the truth in love, how we can take God's word and apply it to someone's life and say, here's a truth that can help you through this struggle. And we should build toward that. We should seek to, to aim for that. At the, but at the very base level, how can we help each other without giving any advice? Admit your weakness, acknowledge God, ask for prayer, and you just might find other people doing the same for you. May we live together in the everyday reality of the Christian life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for giving us your word, giving us um, the people of God, that we together can grow into a knowledge of you. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you'd help us as Christians in this church to allow others to be unaware of our struggles, or that we'd allow others to be aware of our struggles so that there could be more prayer offered and more grace given. Thank you for our church family. Help us to continue growing in you.